morning, everyone. It's really good to be with you again. And uh, I think the last time you probably saw me, I was up there. I didn't realize, I have to say, just how big I would be up there. Next time I send you a video from Myrtlefield, I'm going to do it from standing across the room um, way back. But uh, it is good to be together here and to get to open God's Word. I, we're going to end up pretty soon in Mark chapter 4, but I'd like to start in the Psalms, please. So Psalm chapter uh, 65 to begin. I want to think with you a little bit about a theme that I think you'll pick up on pretty quickly as we look at three Psalms here and just portions of them. Okay, so Psalm chapter 65 as we begin and we'll read at verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. And then over to chapter 89, to Psalm 89, please. Psalm 89, again at verse 5. And the psalmist writes, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And one last psalm in 107. We start to pick up the theme, I think. Not only the mighty, awesome power of God, but specifically a God who can calm the sea. Psalm 107, now a little bit longer here in verse 23, just to verse 30. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. We'll stop there in the Psalms. But isn't it interesting? The Psalms, of course, were the the songbook of Israel. They were the, the way so much of uh, of the character of God was, was taught to people. And, and when the Lord Jesus was on earth, many in Israel would have known a lot of the songs by heart. They sang them as they went up to the festivals from, uh, just from each yearly at the different times of the feasts. And they carried them with them throughout the year from childhood onward. It's just they, they were songs that they knew and grew up with. It's interesting if what we see in these psalms, not just about the sea and his ability to still them, but we see a couple of things that I think the psalms often bring together. On the one hand, you have God's power, 
what he's shown himself capable of doing. And that's celebrated in the Psalms. But along with that, his character. The thing that determines how he uses that power and who he's going to use it for. And it puts those two things together. So a question as we, as we begin this morning. What makes it possible for someone to trust in God even in the most difficult of circumstances? How do people keep trusting God when circumstances say, give up? How do we do that? How do people do that? The Psalms are claiming a very big thing in a world that's as difficult as ours, that that God is both powerful and trustworthy. He's got the strength and he's got the character to go with it. He has strength and steadfast love. And I think there is a big part of the answer. Of course, if it's true, and I believe it is, and I think most of you do here too, that God is both of those things, a God of steadfast love and a God of power. But where we're going now in Mark chapter 4, Mark is going to emphasize three things that the disciples of Jesus had to learn if they were going to be able to trust God. And I think each of those things touches home with each of us as well. So Mark chapter 4. One of the times when the Lord Jesus calmed the sea. But up, think about it just if you step back and if, if you think about Mark's gospel for a minute. Up to the, the in these first uh, three chapters and, and into chapter 4 before we jump in here. That up to this point... Um, Mark's gospel has, has shown us that, that Jesus' disciples were learning a, a, an enormous amount about who this was. They were, they were learning that Jesus has come in fulfillment of prophecy. They were hearing Jesus teach with an authority that could even command unclean spirits, and they had to go. They've seen him do that. They've seen Jesus heal people who were paralyzed. They've seen him heal people who were lepers, among many others. They've seen this enormous power at work in him. And they've seen a different kind of power. They've seen this guy that they despised named Levi or Matthew totally transformed because of his coming into contact with Jesus. They've seen that he changes people. And then now in chapter 4 as you come into it, Jesus is preaching. He's speaking from using the boat as a pulpit. And then he speaks privately to the disciples. And he's talking to them about the power of the word of God. And he teaches them about their responsibility for what they've heard and and what they've seen. And about the nature of what God's doing in the world. About the kingdom of God. And with all of this, all of this, you just imagine the sense of we're going somewhere with this guy. Everything is coming together. Let's, Let's go. And he says, now let's go across the sea. And that's where we pick it up. As he sets out with them. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, 
be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. The disciples here of the Lord Jesus were were learning more about who Jesus was, but clearly they didn't realize exactly who he is, that he is God. So they, they weren't clear about his identity. That's the first thing. They were not clear about his identity, but they would, need, they would need to know more than that he's the almighty God. They were going to need to learn how God sometimes works with those that he brings closest to him. They were going to need to learn how he treats his own. In other words, to come to know by experience the keeping power of God's providence in hard circumstances. And that's the second thing. The keeping power of God in hard times. And even then, when they'd come to see Jesus for who he was, they'd come to start to trust his care for them, they would still need to be sure that they had believed completely in his word, in what he actually said. That's the third thing. So let's take those each in turn. First, just knowing his identity. As they ask, who, who then is this? Isn't it interesting that they were more afraid after he calmed the wind and waves than before? Why is that? Suddenly, they were realizing something. The man in the back of the boat had more power than the storm that had nearly drowned them. They were fishermen, of course. They knew the storms. If you've ever been to the to the to Galilee or to that region or, or read about it, you'll know there are these kind of what they call finger valleys that sweep in from the Mediterranean. You get these winds whipping off across the whole length of the Mediterranean, whipping like little wind tunnels through these, and they can smash into that sea and whip up a big storm. They knew that, but this was something bigger. This was something more than they could handle. They knew the dangers, but they knew something else. When that kind of a storm comes up, they don't just stop. That was unnatural. Well, actually, it was supernatural. And that was the scary thing to them. They realized, as they would have known since they were children, that there is only one who stops storms. There is only one, as the Psalms had said, who can calm the sea. And that's the Lord God Almighty. Who then is this in the back of our boat? Who have we been going across Galilee with? Who is he? He hadn't conjured, he hadn't called on a higher higher power, he'd spoken his own words. Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the waves, it says, it can be translated, be silent, be muzzled, and remain so. That's the idea of the word. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I remember going on walks with my dad, we lived out in the country, and you get these big farm dogs, you know, that come down barking like they're going to rip your head off. And as a six-year-old, it's frightening. And my dad, he's, he's, he's a big guy, but he's also a loud guy. And he just say, hey, you, be quiet. And the dog just, you know, I just, and I just like, I'm with him, you know. And, and that's what it was like. It's, like. it's like the Lord Jesus said, 
but not to a dog, not to this bit of, you know, 60 pounds of canine fury, but to the wind. You've seen storms. I loved watching a good storm while on the land. I like watching it from there. But to the wind and the waves, to have them just stop. He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, Luke says in his, when he tells this story. He says, peace be still. As, as one commentator says, this, these are two sublime words of command from a master to his servants, the elements. He's the boss telling them what to do. And you know, I think we need to face up to the, the fact of nature's brute strength, don't we? We have to reckon with that. Whether in storms, real storms of the sea, or a hurricane, or in the jaws of a, a ravaging lion, or in the end result of a crippling illness. What is the truth about nature and its power? Clearly, nature is hugely powerful, sometimes devastatingly destructive. But this raises a question in our minds, doesn't it? And often a cry from our hearts. Is nature the highest power in the universe? Or is someone in control of it? Is all of nature, the universe and all it contains, just the result of one ginormous cosmic explosion? One great storm at the beginning. The universe and all of it just coming from this big bang. It'll end in a big crunch and, and, and there's no more to explain anything about it, about where it came from. Matter just is and we dance to its rhythms until we die. Is that, is that really all we have? If that's the view we take, and so many in our world do, if we dare to think about it, it ends in hopelessness. If that's all there is. Or is it that whatever it was like in those first moments when that great cosmic storm of creation and, and he spoke, is there someone who is Lord over it all? One who, despite everything that seems to be out of control right now and out of tune, is ultimately responsible for this universe and ultimately in control of it. That's the question we have to answer. And as believers, it's one we have to wrestle with because people around us and ourselves and people we love are, do suffer from the sheer force of nature's power. Because if it's not true that someone's over it, then it's just a matter of time. Nature will get us through age and decay or through some natural disaster or through one of the things that just happens. But you know, all throughout, the scripture is clear, absolutely, in its rejection of, of its small way of thinking that, that the world has so often, that, that this is all there is. It proclaims loudly that there is a storm lord, one who is over it all, who has the power over nature and its destructiveness. One who is greater than nature because he created it in the first place. 
But you know, that being the case, then it's not only impersonal nature that's responsible to him, that are his rightful servants. So too are you and I, as part of what he made. And I think that had to be at least part of the fear that gripped the disciples that day as they sat in the midst of that great calm, no longer under threat from a storm, but more bewildered and more fearful than ever. They had grown up to adulthood knowing that there was a great creator. They believed that. They worshipped him, actually. But what were they to do with the fact that was dawning upon them that this one who made it all was with them in their boat. They were going to have to wrestle with the truth of who this man Jesus was. They needed to realize his identity, his true identity. And that was going to have massive implications for their understanding of Scripture, for how they understood the world. And we should remember that it wasn't obvious for them from the start that Jesus is God. And, and it's so not obvious to many people in the world now, our times look much more like, like theirs in, 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 the, in the pagan world when it was, there were lots of options on offer and, and not everybody grew up thinking that way. And it's kind of say it is the beauty, and I know many of you do it, but the, the joy of taking someone through one of the Gospels. Just You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a, a preacher or a Bible teacher, but to sit down and read it with them and help them to see this journey that the disciples themselves went on to see that Jesus is God. He didn't come with that as a huge announcement. That dawned on them, and you see that dawning on them. So for us to introduce people to the wonder of who Jesus is and his true identity, we can do a lot worse than to just read through a gospel with somebody, bit by bit. And don't be afraid of their questions. Just, just talk to them about it, and you find the Lord will walk you through that. And it's a joy. I haven't done it as much as I'd like, but I tell you the few times I have, it's just exciting to see what the Gospels themselves can, can bring people to. But you know, once they had realized that Jesus is God, the, their problems weren't over. Before this display of his power, he was to them, he was, well, he was a great man, and they respected him. Here's a prophet, somebody from God. But fear had caused them to doubt that he cared for them. Now that they'd seen his power, they began to suspect this, 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 this has got to be God here with us in the boat. But now the question has to start forming in their minds. If he had the power to stop the storm all along, why do you let me go through that? If he's the one with the power to control storms, why did, he, why did he let me get thrashed about in a storm for so long? You ever felt that? Ever asked that? If that's God, and he has that power to stop these things, why does he let them happen? I think when facing difficulties and difficult times, people who believe in God often ask, one or, or both of these questions. The first is, God, are you really strong enough to do something about what I'm facing? You don't have to be someone who believes in him to ask that. Other people ask it too, to kind of say, God, if you're really there, are you strong enough? But even believers in God will ask that. Are you really strong enough to help in what I'm facing? 
But I think the more common one is the second question. When facing a difficult time, God, do you really care enough to do something about what I'm facing? The disciples, they said it very straight, didn't they? Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? That was their first concern. And how many cries have there been like it through history? How many people just in fear and anguish have uttered those words? But we need to think carefully about that question. Because there's a hidden assumption built into it. And it's this. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. Right? That's the assumption that's built in there. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let me go through something this hard. So he must not love me. We need to be very careful, careful with that. But you know what? That's a very common assumption way. That's a way to assume that God works. And I've thought it. I've asked it. I've said it. In hard times, I'm sure maybe some of you have. I am, every time I, I read this quote, I'm amazed by it. And you could, you could multiply it out over the hard experiences of others who have held on to faith in God. But I love what Elizabeth Elliot writes in her book, Through Gates of Splendor. This is a woman, many of you will know her story, went with um, her husband and then four other couples in the jungles of Ecuador to serve the Lord there. The five men were, were off trying to reach an unreached group and were killed on a beach, speared. She lost her husband through that. And she wrote this, reflecting on that time. She said, God is God. And since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere else but in his will. And that will is necessarily, infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. A faith that doesn't say, I, I must understand it all, but that I, I know him. I know the one who's letting me go through this. But how is it possible to trust God like that? And it turns on that question of God's character. What is he, what is he after here? What is he like? Do you know, in a sense, we could say he's out to get me. He's out to get all of me. He's out to get all of you. He's not satisfied having a bit of a, a token, I'll, I'll hand you this bit of my life, or, or you can have this little bit. He says, because he is Lord, he's going to be Lord over all. He wants it all. And he's going to work with us to, to tell we, he, he has the joy and the shared joy with us of him possessing all of us. He wants my time. He wants my personality. He wants everything. And he knows that that will be the most joyful and greatest and freeing place to be is in the center of his will. And very often, difficult though it is, it's the storms in life that get our attention that show up how much we're still holding on to things for ourselves, 
trying to create this sense of security, that this sense of I can just do it. When he says no, <laughs> you just don't see reality. It's not like that. He's going to try to get us to see how much we need him even for temporary things, let alone for the life that's to come. I think in that sense, life storms reveal the truth about things in the way that comforts and joys and pleasures, they can actually kind of conceal. Though I like it better when they're like that too. We might say, well, yeah, it's a broken world. That's why things, bad things happen. And that's, that's true, of course. I love, I love the, the line in the, 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 the song by Andrew Peterson called Come Back Soon. And he just, he reflects on it. He says, if nature's red in tooth and claw, it seems to me that she's an outlaw. Because every death is a question mark at the end of the book of a beating heart. And the answer's scrawled in the silent dark on the dome of the sky in a billion stars. And he ends, deliver us, O Lord. It is broken. It's true. But in this world, broken by sin and the fall of the human race, which unleashed destructive forces upon a good creation that God made, God, in his mercy, harnesses even those destructive forces as his servants and doesn't allow them to go further than he wills. And one of the things that he has revealed to us that he wills is to show us how utterly helpless we are without him. Why is that? Why would that be such a big goal that he has? Why is that so important? Well, so that we don't continue on under the, the very same delusion that caused our first parents to, to, to fall, to, to the lie that led them to seek independence from him. We're prone to it, to take what we, we must of, of him and then go and just say, but the Lord, I've got the rest. One writer called this way that God is willing to work as a terrible mercy. And I think that's a tremendous way to describe it. Because the storms of life can be absolutely brutal. And I think some of you know that better than I do. We should never belittle the, the difficulty that people find in life. But by the same token, we should never fail to see in such times what the God of steadfast love is able to do with such storms. I read recently of a, a, a screenwriter who, who's not a, not a believer. Um, he's fairly well known and he was paralyzed a few months ago and he fell when he was on holiday in Rome. Paralyzed. Maybe some of you heard of this, this man. And amazing, he's, he's just kind of seeing life in this whole different way. And he said something to the effect, he's, he said, I just, we live in this world of pain and brokenness and I just didn't realize it until he was put more in the middle of it. And I pray for that man, that he goes further than that. But even to see what that, to see what, experiencing that storm of paralysis, which I can't begin to imagine, has just given him a complete, a 70 years old, has given him a completely different outlook on life. And God will take it and do something for a person far beyond this life. But you notice... The disciples, they were rebuked for their lack of faith. And, well, maybe that seems a bit harsh, but 
We trust that the Lord Jesus, well, he knows what we need in every particular moment. But, but was this, was that harsh? Oh, you of little faith, why were you so afraid? But here, faith in this instance, this is courage that he expects based on a conviction about the goodness of God's character no matter what. And they had a lot to be responsible for. As we thought in, the, in Mark's gospel, he's laid out, this is what he has revealed to them already of who he is. And he was holding them responsible for what they had been shown. And he expects their faith. And they were responsible. He will hold us responsible for, for what he's shown us and me. I tremble to say it. But how do I get such faith that holds on to God and trust his character even when things are overwhelming. How do I come to be utterly convinced? Not that everything will be easy or just turn out the way I want it to. But that the Lord God is good even, even when they don't turn out that way. The answer is simple in one way. And perhaps we, we sail over it. But it's by listening to the word of Christ. That is how faith comes. Trusting his word. And where do we get that here in this story? Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. He didn't say, let us go out to the middle of the sea and drown. He didn't say, we're, we're going to, to maybe make it, maybe not. His words, let us go across to the other side. He had said what was going to happen. He said, well, that's a bit simple. Well, believing his very words, I would argue, is one of the most crucial things to build our faith. Because if we ask, where is all of this going, this journey that he's taking us on, what will be the final outcome? How will this journey end? Well, how would you know unless he told you? Unless the Lord Jesus himself tells us, we do not know where all this goes. We can have all of the evidence and the arguments of apologetics. We can have all of the, the, the fulfilled prophecies of the past to this point, and that's great. But there is a future beyond us, and he says, I'm going to take you with me and how do you know unless he's telling the truth? Ultimately, faith has to be faith in that person's words. Do you know for the disciples, greater storms were going to come, especially his death. And if you trace it through Mark, you can look at chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Three times, he tells them, he gives them his word. He said, I am going to go to the cross. I am going to be taken by the authorities and killed. And on the third day, I will rise. He says that to them three times. Do you know we come to chapter 16 when they're in great fear and the angel speaks to them of Christ having been raised and he says, now you're going to go into Galilee and he's gone before you. He's alive. He's gone before you to Galilee just as he told you. That's what the angel said. Just as he told you. He told you what he was going to do. So what might have been different for the disciples from Friday to Sunday if they had remembered and believed Jesus' words? Well, I have to say, hold on, Josh. 
What would be different throughout your life if you remembered and believed his words? For example, about his love for us. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. About his care for us throughout this life. Think of Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Those are his words. Matthew 6, he says, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. And he had a lot to say about where this is all headed for those of us who he has saved. John 11, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And so many other promises about life now as as we live for him and wait for him to come again and to complete his great plans. To say to one another, I think would be a great habit to get into. Now, what exactly did he say? What exactly did the Lord Jesus say? And remind ourselves, reminding each other of those things, preaching those things to ourselves on the down days, because they come. And stopping long enough to listen to him speak those things to himself. That's where courage and faith come from. To keep going. And if you want it as a very practical application, I think those three things are tremendously important for the church. To listen to the Lord himself. To speak to one another what he said. And to preach into our own hearts the things he said. His words. So we need to know his words. Not just the ones recorded in the gospels. But in all of scripture. Because it has been breathed out by God. And it's the one solid thing we can always hold on to. And it's knowing it and hearing it. And reminding ourselves. Builds faith in God. And we need to take seriously what he says in his word. Just as surely as he fulfilled what he told his disciples. Then he will fulfill what he said he will do. But you know, the words of Christ that we need most in times of crisis and difficulty, I I don't know about you, but they may not be the first or recurring thoughts we have when those times come, in the middle of those times. We often have to make a very conscious choice to think back to the things that God has promised through his son Jesus and trust what he has said. I love that little line in Hebrews 13, for he himself has said. So what makes it possible for someone to trust Jesus, even in the most difficult circumstances? I hope I haven't seemed to make any of it too simple. I know there are hard things. I've experienced some of them. I've seen others go through worse. 
But the truth of Scripture is that we need to learn what the disciples learned that day in that boat. Learning more about who Jesus is, they didn't yet realize his identity. But they and we need to hold on to the truth that this is God. God, a very God, who has come among us. That we celebrated having given his life for us. But we need to know more than that, just as they did. He is the almighty God. But to realize the truth of how he sometimes works with his own. And sees what, and to see what he is willing to take us through. And his keeping power. But then, even when we've come to see him for who he is. And trust in him. To trust exactly in the words that he has spoken. And hear them again and again. So let's ask him to keep speaking to us. Building our trust in him. Whatever may come until he returns. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.